All right, we're going to begin out a study of the tabernacle. Actually, we're not going to begin the study tonight, but we're going to have our study of the tabernacle for this evening. And I'd like for us to go to Exodus chapter 29, and we're going to begin by reading a passage there. It was a, a statement that was given in the midst of the Lord giving the instructions for the tabernacle to Moses. And I want us to take a look at it because it really gives us a, a summary of what the tabernacle in the wilderness was all about. It says in Exodus chapter 29, verses 43 through 46, And there, that is at the tabernacle, and there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. And I will sanctify the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar. I will sanctify also both Aaron and his sons to minister to me in the priest's office. And I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God that brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. I was really taken with the statement there that the Lord said in verse 46. They shall know that I am the Lord their God that brought them forth out of the land of Egypt that I may dwell among them. When the Lord brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, that's a picture of the Lord bringing us out of the world. And the Passover lamb, the, the lamb that was offered uh, in, the, in the place of the firstborn, remember they, they killed the lamb and they put its blood on the doorposts. And... And that, uh, that set free the firstborn of Israel, else, or else they would have died in the plague of the firstborn. But the Lord brought them out of Egypt for what purpose? And notice the purpose that he states here. Why did the Lord bring them out of Egypt? Why does the Lord save us and bring us out of the world? It's for the same purpose. What is it? That I may dwell among them. Uh, you know, the Lord doesn't... doesn't uh, forgive us our sins and give us the gift of eternal life just so that we can go on about our own business without any regard to him uh, and, and just go around fulfilling rituals and rules and regulations of the Christian life. No, the, the Lord saved us so that he could live with us, so that he could be our constant companion. And another thing I've thought about, about the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and the Lord wanting to dwell among them, is uh, in, in what way did the Lord want to dwell among them? Did he want to dwell among them as a guest? You know, staying in the guest bedroom back there off in the back, <laughs> who they uh, went back from time to time to visit. You know, how you doing? You need anything to eat? Okay, we'll see, we'll see you later. Um, you know, he, he, wasn't, he, he didn't um, come to dwell among them as a guest. He came to dwell among them as the head of the house as the one that was in charge. And that's how the Lord wants to dwell in our life. The Lord wants to dwell in our life as the one who's in charge of everything. But, um, not, but not only in our personal life, but also among us as brethren here in the church. The, Lord, the Lord's uh, desire for us as, as a church is that he would, he would dwell among us. Not just you know somewhere off over there, we go see him on Sunday morning once in a while but uh, that he might dwell among the, the folks of Mission Boulevard Baptist Church as the, as the head of the house, the one that's in charge of what's going on around here. Anyway, that was uh, noteworthy. Well, let's bow for prayer. 
Our Heavenly Father, tonight we come to you and thank you for this opportunity to study the tabernacle of the congregation in the wilderness. I pray that you'll use it to open our eyes, Father, and cause us to to aspire to a closer walk with you. Father, cause us to realize your your great love and how you you brought these folks out of Egypt. You didn't have to come live among that rebellious and stiff-necked people. Uh, you you came and uh, and uh, imposed yourself upon them for their blessing. And uh, Father, I pray that you would teach us the same thing, that you want to be in our life for our own blessing and our own benefit because of your love for us. Please bless our study tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, this is a study of the tabernacle. Uh, we've, we've looked at our introduction, and now we're, we're going to take a look at the story of the tabernacle. Um, the story of the tabernacle has five components that we're going to look at. One is the spiritual background behind the tabernacle, the historical background of the tabernacle. And now you don't, if, if you want to write all these down, it's okay, but I'll give you a handout next week that will have most of these uh, slides on it. So it's, it's okay. But I don't want to discourage anybody from taking notes, though. And uh, building the tabernacle... And then, fourthly, how, how the tabernacle was used by the children of Israel, and then the culmination of the of the tabernacle. So the the spiritual background, of course, that takes us into eternity past. the The tabernacle was in the mind of God before He even created the universe, because the tabernacle does well. It's a reflection of of eternal principles. And then the historical background. That's what we took a look at last week. <coughs> we we went from the, well really, I think we went back to the creation, didn't we? From the creation all the way up to Moses making a covenant with the children of Israel. And then we look, we're, we're going to take a look at the building of the tabernacle. Oops, let's go back. And how they used the tabernacle in their history. And that will include the laws and then the, the uh, history of the tabernacle. How it was carried through the, through the wilderness, brought into the promised land, and eventually it was replaced by the, by the temple. And then ultimately, what's the culmination? All right, quickly, the spiritual background is it's based upon God's plan of redemption. And I know here at Mission Boulevard, let me take a look. I see most of us are probably familiar with that idea of God's plan of redemption. Can you all tell me, whenever God said, let us create man, what did he also say at the same time? Let us redeem man. That's right. Let us redeem man. Because God knew all about our free will and how that as human beings we were going to exercise that free will to rebel against him and, and uh, incur his judgment against our sin. So God knew from the very beginning whenever he created us that, he was, that if there's going to be any future for mankind, he's going to have to redeem us. So, uh, so we've been taught that uh, whenever God said, let us create man, he also said, let us redeem man. And of course, the plan of redemption takes us back to Christ, the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So God's plan to restore or to redeem human beings to God through Christ, was that was plan A, wasn't it? You know, I know it's real common in Christian circles today to think that the law was plan A and the gospel was plan B because the law didn't work out. God had to make up another plan. But we know better than that. The Bible tells us that Christ was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world and that he was foreordained 
a lamb without blemish and without spot to redeem us to God. So that was God's plan. And then God has a plan of evangelism, which goes back before the foundation of the world. Uh, and, and it may seem kind of strange that the plan of evangelism? Yeah, that's right. Because in order for people to benefit from the plan of salvation, they've got to hear the gospel message. There's got to be the gospel in which Christ gives his life and is raised from the dead. And then that message has to be communicated. And before the foundation of the world, God planned that there were going to be institutions of witness. Can, can anybody tell me any of God's institutions to witness of the gospel? Family, the church, Israel. That's right. And at the center of the, of the institution of Israel, we find the, the, the tabernacle. And the tabernacle is one of God's teaching aids. And, of course, in the church we have some teaching aids, don't we? That's what baptism is. Baptism, as well as the initiation into the church, is a teaching aid to show us that a, that a believer is, has, has um, died with Christ and raised from the, from the dead with him. What's another teaching aid that we have in the New Testament church? Communion. That's right. Communion. Communion. Or, or the Lord's Supper. That's right. Those, and those are teaching aids. Uh, visual aids to show us the truth about our relationship with the Lord. Well, as we go into the tabernacle, what we're seeing is a teaching aid to, to instruct the children of Israel, and we're going to receive a lot of benefit out of looking at the teaching aid of the tabernacle to show us our relationship with Christ. Well, again, quickly, the, the historical context goes all the way back to the creation, the fall of man, the flood, the Tower of Babel. And, and we, we spent some time last time looking at how the nations were scattered on the face of the earth, didn't we? And uh, we, I, I guess we digressed there or um, chased a rabbit as on, uh, on uh, where all the different races came from and why people are scattered all over the world. But then we, then we came back to the patriarchs and how the biblical history focuses on the nation of Israel and we begin with the, with the first fathers of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's 12 sons, and particularly in the book of Genesis, we focus on Joseph. But then, in the book of Exodus, we, we, we go to the um, Exodus from, from Egypt. The first part of the book of Exodus shows us how the Lord brought the people of Israel out of Egypt, how he, uh, how he redeemed them from, from bondage, from, from slavery, he delivered them through the ten plagues and, and then they were released. And then they, they, came, they journeyed to Mount Sinai. And on their journey to Sinai, they, of course, they went through the Red Sea. And at the waters of Merah, they didn't have anything to drink and the water was bitter. What, what, was, the, what was the Lord's solution for the bitter water at Merah? Cut down the tree and, and, and it made the bitter water sweet. So the Lord provided for them, didn't he? And then they grumbled about not having food. And the Lord sent them the manna and the, and the quail. And then they went to Rephidim. And it was at Rephidim that they complained about water again. And it was at Rephidim where Moses took the rod and, he, and the Lord told him to hit the rock. And the water came out and the people had, had water to drink. And you know, last time I asked the question, I'd like to ask it again. Would the Lord have provided for them if they had not griped? Isn't that a great question? But you know, like maybe the children of Israel thought, well, the only way to get anything out of God is just gripe. <laughs> That's how they did it. <laughs> That's how, they, you know, sometimes I think some of the folks in my family might think the same thing. No, no, well, better not say that. That's not quite true. But you know, if they had just gone to the Lord and just requested, wouldn't it have been much better? Well, that's a great lesson for us to learn, isn't it? 
yeah, the Lord will provide for us. He, the Lord didn't bring the children of Israel out of, out of Egypt to, to destroy them in the wilderness, contrary to what the children of Israel thought. They could have had a much more pleasant journey had they just learned to walk by faith and trust the Lord and ask Him for the things that they, that they needed. And He protected them from the Amalekites. And then Jethro came and gave, wisdom, gave Moses some wise instruction, which was blessed by the Lord. Uh, because the Lord placed His Spirit on those people whom, whom Moses had uh, had appointed to to help him lead the children of Israel, uh, the council of Jethro, for Moses to delegate some authority. All right. Uh, also, again, the Lord provided in the manna. All right. And then when we come to the covenant of the law. The Lord brought them to Mount Sinai, and He made the covenant with them. And what was the point of the covenant that God made with the children of Israel at Mount Sinai? Was he showing them how to be saved uh, before Christ came? No, what was the point of that covenant? Where do we go to find the point of the covenant? Oh, we should be popping off the answers. Okay, which chapter is it in the book of Exodus in which the Lord states, if you keep my covenant indeed, this is what will happen. Where is that found? Yes, Exodus 19. Let's go back over there. And we're going to take just a quick look at this because this is so important. What we're going to see as we study the tabernacle is comes under the heading of what God is doing with these folks here in, in uh, making this covenant. Exodus chapter 19. The tabernacle and all the ordinances and instruction and sacrifices and festivals, all those things associated with the tabernacle were all a part of of the covenant that the Lord made with the children of Israel there at Mount Sinai. Exodus chapter 19 tells us the, the purpose of the covenant here in the preamble in verse 3. Exodus 19, 3 through 6. Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be saved. You'll be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. So out of all the nations of the world, you are going to be special. If you'll keep this covenant, you will be a peculiar treasure unto the Lord. And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests. So the whole nation was going to be a kingdom of priests. Of course, the Lord would be their king, and they would all be priests of the kingdom. And in which they now, what does a priest do? Well, in case we're not sure, if we look at what the what the instructions are here that the Lord gave to the children of Israel regarding their priest, the priest is the go-between. He's the intercessor. He's the mediator to bring people to God and to take God to people. So what the children of Israel would be if they kept this covenant is, I think we would call them witnesses. They would go and they would share the truth of God with the world and draw people in to come to know their God. So they would be a, a nation of witness and you will be a holy nation. You will be separate and distinct, set apart for a different purpose than what the nations of the earth are for. And then the, the Lord gave them the covenant and... Uh, and 
we, we won't review all that. Tonight I just want to give us a few ideas about the building of the tabernacle. Point number three, in the story of the tabernacle, okay, what happened in the actual building of it? Well, first, the Lord gave Moses the instructions. And this is one of the most ironic stories in all history, is that, is that while Moses is up there on the mountain for 40 days, and he's receiving these instructions for building a sanctuary, the dwelling place of the Lord among the people of Israel. And he's up there getting these instructions because those people have come out of Egypt and the Lord said, I want to make a covenant with you. And the people have said, yes, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. And then the Lord came down on the mountain and said, you shall have no other gods before me. Right? You shall not make any graven image. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. And all the, all the Ten Commandments. And when the people heard that, they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do. And then they said, but, Moses, you go get the instructions because we're going to die if God keeps talking. So Moses went and got three more chapters of laws and came down and read them to the children of Israel. And the children of Israel heard those three chapters of judgments and they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. And then the Lord called Moses back up into the mountain. And while Moses is up there for 40 days getting the instructions for how to build the sanctuary, what are the children of Israel doing? They're making a, yeah, they're making an idol, the golden calf uh, which was, uh, of Egypt. And they were singing and dancing in a way that sounded like war. Now that's kind of strange, isn't it? They, they had taken their clothes off and they were... They were singing and dancing and rising up to eat and drink and play. And whenever Moses heard what was going on, or whenever Joshua heard what was going on, Joshua said, sounds like war to me. Moses said, no, I, I, I think that's music. And we have music today that you can't tell the difference to whether it's music or if it's a battle going on. But you know, maybe, that, maybe they had some of, that, um, some of that rock music out there in the, in the wilderness. You know, I mean, they had a lot of rocks out there, but... And that was a bad joke, I'm sorry. <laughs> but you know, the spirit of that music is the same as some of the music that's, that's going around today. But, uh, th so they had a crisis. Now, now this was a major, major crisis. Because here they are, these people have just stated three times, we are going to keep this covenant. And then whenever they were receiving the instructions for the focus of the whole thing. Remember the, the passage that we read it by introduction today? I brought you out of Egypt so that I could dwell among you. And the, and the tabernacle was going to be the sanctuary, God's dwelling place among them. We've come to the most important, the focal part of the covenant, where they're going to receive the instructions for how to do this. This is it. This is the main point. And they've turned away from the Lord and they're worshiping the, 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 the idol. They're worshiping the calf. They've forgotten all about God. In fact, they said, they said, well, as for this Moses, we don't know what happened to him. <laughs> we, we need to have some sort of spiritual leadership here. We need a God. So, so uh, Aaron made a God. That's another interesting point. But anyway, they've got this idol, and they're, and they're worshiping this idol. This is a crisis, because what they've done is that they have just forsaken and just turned their backs on, and they've just broken the covenant that they, that they made with the Lord. So what's God going to do? Well, the Lord was inclined to just wipe them off the face of the earth and start over with Moses. These people don't deserve to live. They've entered into a blood covenant with God and they've broken it. So the Lord's response is, Moses, stand back, I'm going to wipe them out. What was Moses' response to that? 
Yeah, Moses Moses interceded for them. Moses put his own soul, his own life on the line and said, Well well Lord, if you if you're not willing to spare them, then blot me out of your book. See, Moses put himself in their place. Kind of reminds us of someone else, doesn't it? Someone else. Yeah, Moses had that same spirit of Christ to intercede for them and to and not just to not just to plead for them, but to place himself uh, as the as the as the one that would bear the punishment, but but um, uh, and the Lord the Lord was entreated by Moses. The Lord accepted Moses' uh, treaty. Uh, he he did not he didn't destroy Moses, but but uh, but the Lord for for Moses' sake, the children of Israel were allowed to live. Isn't that remarkable? If it hadn't been for the for the intercession of Moses all of the children of Israel would have died. The whole thing would have been over right there and the Lord would have started over with a completely different line of people. And I think that's interesting. Why was, why, why was King David alive several generations later? Because Moses interceded for the nation. So really, in a sense, Moses was the, was the savior of Israel at that point from the wrath of, and the judgment of God. So they, so they had the crisis. Moses interceded and, and the Lord... Uh, the Lord uh, allowed them to continue, and then they built the tabernacle. And so, from from chapters 35 through 40, we have the account of the construction of the tabernacle. And it's interesting to see the difference in the order. the The order of instructions is one way, and then the order of construction is another way. And we'll take a look at that and see if we can learn something from that. Okay, they used the tabernacle. Uh, we're going to see the laws for the using of the tabernacle, and this this will be taking a look at the at the sacrifices and the offerings, and then we'll also look at how the tabernacle was used in the history of the judges and the and the uh, the kings, and then the story of the culmination of the tabernacle. Well, remember in in the book of Revelation, he says, "Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and God Himself shall be, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people." And God Himself shall be with them and be their God. So that's the ultimately the tabernacle is a picture of heaven. It's a, it's a picture of the new Jerusalem and God dwelling with us on the on the new earth. But we are past time. I don't know what we're going to do now. Has 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 anybody gotten the word? Are we going to go to ministry team or are we going to? Uh, so we'll go to ministry team a shortened time. Short time. Let's let's do this. Let's go to ministry team. Let's be back in the sanctuary at seven o'clock. Let's be back at seven.